Hey guys, welcome to episode 77, Lucky Sevens of Bo Knows Stuff. And this is one of my favorite topics, functional medicine. If you do not know what functional medicine is, it is an alternative to allopathic conventional blood work. It's a much more in-depth style of medicine that looks at things in a very, very comprehensive way. I think everyone in the world should find a functional medicine practitioner to work with on some level, even if it's just to get some basic blood work done and see if there's some stuff lurking that most conventional medicine will not find. And I'll just say real quick as a disclaimer, conventional medicine is fantastic for finding uh, out if you're gonna live or die and keeping you that way and looking for some really big stuff. But when it comes to stuff like Lyme, Lyme disease, uh, mold toxicity, all these kind of things that are a little more nebulous, but definitely are kind of in the ether there. Uh, we get into some of these concepts and I'm really excited for you guys to check this out. If you want a referral for functional medicine, check these guys out or contact me. I'm happy to connect you with somebody locally to you. And a lot of these guys work in, uh, internationally as well as just virtually anywhere across state lines. So it's worth checking out and finding a functional medicine doctor. I will keep pushing that message until anyone can convince me otherwise. Uh, so yeah, hope you guys enjoy this episode. I definitely got at least 1% better from these guys and let's get into it. It's loading. Here we are, we are live with, I'm gonna Dr. Rowe and Dr. Christopher Um But from here on forward, they prefer to just be called Emily and Chris. And I should remove the doctor from my name as well. But uh, so I'll bow. We got Chris and Emily there. Um, and they are joining us from Miami Beach Comprehensive Wellness Center. Yes. Yes. And uh, Emily, I've known for, I don't know, almost a decade. Um, back, I used to travel a bit to Miami and we connected through, I believe, Megan May uh, yes. was, was the primary connection there. And uh, yeah, I used to travel to Miami quite a few times and uh, especially working with the company that took me out to Dubai. And sorry if I turn a little bit, my dog's always trying to play ball with me here. Um, but yeah, we connected back then and she did some, I know, uh, definitely did some acupuncture sessions back then. Um, and would love to d dive into some of those aspects of healing and, and where our practices have gone in those years. But uh, that's our, our background. I'll let you guys kind of catch us up on what's going on in Miami and, and tell us a little about yourselves. Um, so I practiced acupuncture out of my house for years. And then um, I, I actually lost my house and didn't have a place to practice anymore. And at the time um, I was having very complicated health issues. And um, even though I trained in conventional medicine and also um, Chinese medicine, I was at a point where nothing was really well working. And so that's when I decided to go back to school and learn more. And I learned about functional medicine and uh, took a deeper, deeper dive into how environmental toxins affect our health, things like heavy metals, mold toxicity. And I also became um, an expert in Lyme and the other tick-borne co-infections by working with Dr. Horowitz. And Chris and I opened up the Miami Beach Comprehensive Wellness Center in 2017. 2017. Yeah, and uh, we've been doing this since 2017. And I, I integrate a variety of modalities depending on what a patient needs. Awesome. And Chris, give us a little, I know you're a board certified OBGYN. 
Yeah, I, I that was my original training was OBGYN, and I was in the world of conventional medicine and academic centers and tertiary care referral centers, and in all levels of administration and um, you know education and stuff like that with residents and medical students. And um, I just got increasingly frustrated with people's lack of progress, uh, particularly my very medically complicated patients. And then through our own personal experiences, you know, we started learning about things like, you know, environmentally acquired illnesses like, you know, heavy metals and mold and mycotoxins and uh, Lyme disease and related infections. And, you know, we started pulling that into our practices. And, um, you know, now we use a true fusion of Eastern and Western approaches um, in our office. In particular, you know, I, I do quite a bit of um, sound healing with a system called Acutonics, uh, which is a system of sound healing that also is based upon principles of uh, Chinese medicine. Um, so yeah, that's where we are now. And actually getting ready to move to a bigger, better office uh, very, very soon. So we got a lot of exciting stuff going on. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, you got a shout out from Wendy. Why? Hi, yeah, Wendy. She's a, she's a lovely client and friend. Yeah, awesome. And she just friend. said, yay, Emily and Chris. A lot of hugs and kisses. Um, awesome. Thank you guys for that intro. And, and again, you, uh, as I usually do here, it's called Bono Stuff. Uh, it's my podcast. And I'd like to learn more stuff uh, and, and touch base on a lot of these different topics and things. So uh, let's let's dive over to that concept of acupuncture real quick where Emily, you and I go way back. Um, and I'd love to, um, I'm, I'm relatively new to dry needling. And so I'd love to kind of compare and contrast a little bit of, of how those worlds kind of overlap and, and what um, we can talk about there. So tell me a little bit about your background about acupuncture, how you integrate it into your practice and uh, maybe what your take on dry needling is. Sure. Well, I went to acupuncture school in, um, I, I started at, in New York City in 2005 and I was working in internal medicine and I was just, um, I actually uh, quit working as a physician when I was on my ICU rotation. I saw so much medical futility and just torture and stuff like that. And at the time I was having a variety of health problems, which I were later diagnosed as autoimmune disease several years later. And I went to an acupuncturist out of desperation and it helped me more than anything I learned in medical school um, with, you know, the variety of health stuff that I was going through. And, you know, um, conventional medicine is great if you're having a heart attack, if you need like, you know, if your spleen ruptures in an accident, but for chronic medical conditions where you just slowly degenerate, I find that it fails a lot of people. And um, acupuncture was super helpful for me. It decreased my pain, helped me with migraines, helped me with, um, uh, you know, sleep, um, regulation of just everything in the body. And so I quit and I went back to school and I have a four-year degree in acupuncture and Chinese herbs. Um, <clears throat> so I personally have never studied dry needling. I've, I've seen it done, um, but I don't have training in it. So it's hard for me to compare. But you know, I, I know that dry needling helps a lot of my clients. I, I treat a lot of professional athletes through this uh, place called DBC down here in Miami. And a lot of the athletes come in to see me and they've had dry needling and then they've also had acupuncture. And I think there's a place for both. You know, acupuncture is based off of um, energy channels that run in the fascia, whereas dry needling is more like trigger point therapy is my understanding. 
Um, but you know, a lot of the acupuncture points are actually trigger points. So I think they cross over way more than people realize. And, you know, some acupuncturists really feel threatened by, you know, physical therapists learning how to dry needle. And I think that's stupid. Um, any, any modality that can help a patient should be taught to as many people as want to learn it. And um, I, I never feel threatened by another person learning something. I, yeah. So, um, and I, I mean, there's debates with the licensure right now, and I think it's just silly, honestly. Yeah. I mean, when I, so I practiced previously in New York where you and I also connected and I know you had uh, some of your training and I know I've seen your, some of your instructors, I think, uh, when you weren't available there um, it, to, to get some acupuncture when I had some, a, a little low back pain uh, going on from some CrossFit I did. Um, and so New York and California were the last two states I lived in. Uh, physical therapists are not allowed to dry needle because of that acupuncture kind of political nonsense. And actually moving here to Colorado about a year ago, I got certified and in our certification, uh, the instructor, he was a military guy, so he moved around, but he actually was in Florida when they opened up the practice act for physical therapists and allowed dry needling in for physical therapists to, be, to do that. But they talked a lot about the acupuncturists who came in and which ones actually spoke up, spoke down, whatever it is. And so, yeah, there was a lot of scarcity mindset for sure. And, and, and it's, it's, there's it's no shortage. Yeah. And there's no shortage of yeah. pain in the world. I mean, right. Right. Stop it's no, stupid. And no anybody I know who's either. good has a waiting list. So I, mm -hmm. mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I just, I wanted to touch base on the fact that I don't see it necessarily as a trigger point release per okay. se. And, and the way they taught it to us too. Um, and I took the, uh, my certification through the uh, American Academy of Manual Therapists, um, which I think they're one of the best, most evidence-based uh, organizations out there as I was investigating how to do it. So they still teach the points as like liver seven and, uh, you know, gallbladder six, and they do teach those points. And, but they're now, you know, it's still for like uh, flexor tendonitis, you know, kind of thing. So you're, it, you have to kind of put the pieces together. I haven't bothered to memorize. I don't, I'm, I'm probably very wrong on which two points those were. Um, <laughs> yeah, shaking your head. Yes. It's okay. You know, but like, but yeah. He said, I'm not trained in dry needling. Right. You've been to acupuncture school. Can we both help people? Most right. People. Well, I'm, I just want to, I just want to <laughs> point out the fact that, again, they're teaching it to say there is something between the things and we want to acknowledge where this is all coming from. And again, is there something like the, my understanding is, uh, most of the research that's done, and again, there's a lot of flaws in research, doesn't necessarily support acupuncture as the best method. Now, does that mean it's, it has no place? Obviously not. Um, and so is dry needling another form and a slight tweak to it? I don't know. Is it again, is it, uh, so the way I, uh, and they, they presented the three ways that, you know, the needle going into the body is useful. Uh, the one I always go with and I explain to my patients and clients is uh, it's a neuromuscular junction reset. So that's not the same as a trigger point to me. It To me, it's saying, you know, you might have some pain through here and I'm trying to put it in through the levator scap or, or the upper trap. And I'm just trying to kind of reset that. And one of the big things for me is as soon as we're done and I take those needles out now, I'm trying to get and do some kind of neuromuscular re-education as we would call it in physical therapy. So that's where I think, again, some of these worlds can come together. And, and yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, I just, I recently got published in a book on, um, energetic medicine. And I, I wrote the chapter on acupuncture. And mm -hmm. I feel honored that Dr. Neil Nathan, who's one of my mentors, asked me to contribute to his book. But um, the main mechanism where I describe how acupuncture work is, is via the piezoelectric effect. And, and, you know, your collagen has a crystalline structure. And 
the piezoelectric effect basically means that when you press on something and you induce mechanical pressure, you have a conformational change and that conformational change leads to a flow of electrons. And whenever you have a flow of electrons, that's the definition of electricity. And wherever you have electricity, you have electromagnetic fields that magnetic fields that get generated. And so that's how you can get um, systemic results on the body. Like why do you put a needle in the forearm and it affects the large intestine? And it's because of those fascial planes and that piezoelectric connection. Um, so, you know, I do treat pain, but I use acupuncture for a lot of stuff other than pain, um, like, you know, regulation of heart rate, high blood pressure, just any, any kind of homeostatic process in the body. Yeah, I love that. And, and that kind of takes us to the next topic I wanted to, to get to. Um, and I love this quote you had in your kind of bio you sent over is that you specialize in treating patients who have exhausted or failed Western medical therapies for chronic conditions. And I, I, I end up describing myself the same way because I consider myself way out of the traditional physical therapy model. Oh, you definitely um, are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the nicest thing you could ever say to me. I appreciate that. Um, but I'm a huge fan of functional medicine in that term. And again, I, just, just to finish that thought is, is I always say like I end up and, and people buy into my kind of, again, alternative method um, when they failed with chiropractors, um, with, with uh, again, acupuncturists, uh, you know, orthopedic surgeons who want to either do surgery or injecting. So that's where I provide a lot more holistic thing. And I say, hey, uh, invest this much money in me and we're going to do this for the next three to six months. And like, that's the system. So it takes a lot more for people to, to get to that point, right? If they're just normal, healthy people, they tend not to be, or they've just, again, had that uh, a little bit here, a little bit of surgery there, whatever. Uh, they tend not to buy in. So functional medicine to me is something I very much rely on. Um, we, I had a previous functional medicine uh, practitioner who was a nurse practitioner uh, in California. Dr. Pam, I believe is in the forties of my episodes. I think this is episode 75 for anyone following along. Um, I don't even, amazing, <laughs> amazing how it That's adds great. up. Yeah. Uh, might be 77. I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, Pam is someone, uh, who, you know, I'd love to even get like, a you know, I don't know how many other functional medicine practitioners you guys, uh, touch base with and things like that, but I just love those topics, those concepts. And again, like you're saying, pushing the envelope. So I'd love for you to, you know, catch anyone up on, on how you define functional medicine and what that looks like and how that's different than again, most Western I'm going to let Chris yeah. take that question. So, you know, for me, you know, this concept of functional medicine really comes down to looking at the source cause of a person's problems. One thing I often tell patients is I care less about your ICD-10 code than how you got there. So like, you know, for those of you who, who maybe don't know what ICD-10 code is, that's like your diagnosis. So you've got rheumatoid arthritis, you've got uh, you know, irritable uh, bowel syndrome. I, oh God, that's one of my favorites, by yeah. the way. There's the reason why BS is is IBS. Like, there's a reason for that because. Well, like, anytime I see syndrome or yeah. condition, especially in that ICD code, that tells us it's like we don't really know what to do yeah. with this, and exactly. we're gonna call it a syndrome because it's a bunch of even low back pain. Uh, you know, non-specific low back pain. That's my favorite mm. from the musculoskeletal side. Is what do you mean non-specific low back pain? Like, you know, and again, that doesn't mean we have to say, oh, it's a disc that's herniated and that's the thing. And now we, if we cut that out, we'll solve everything, right? So yeah, it's, it's, it's the root cause. Do you like the, um, the common analogy that I hear put out there about functional medicine is, uh, again, you have pain in your foot and traditional medicine says, here's a pill for that. 
they might even do an x-ray and things like that. But functional medicine says, why don't we look in the shoe? Oh, there's a pebble in here. Let's remove the pebble exactly. and, and whatever that thing is. So that's the one I hear often. Chris has right. an even better analogy. Which one? The Sid Baker one. Oh, Sidney Baker. Yeah, Dr. Baker is kind of the grandfather. He, he has the tack analogy. He's like, you know, if you're sitting on two tacks and I take out one tack, you don't feel 50% better you because you're still sitting on a tack, <laughs> you know. And if you if I give you a Tylenol for that tack, you might feel better for a little bit, but you know, it's going to come right back because you're still sitting on a tack. Mm -hmm. So I take that tack out too. And the fact is most people are sitting on 10 or 12 tacks. It's never just one or two things. So when I do when we do functional medicine workups, we're often ordering like a lot of labs um, and a lot of stuff that people have never done and you know, looking at microbiome, looking at genetics, looking at toxin levels, looking at chronic infections and stuff like that. Uh, and um, I always tell people, look, I never come up empty. You know, I'm always going to find something because, you know, little, the, mo little, the modern world, little secret. Everybody's got a little something that they yeah. can do better. Like, you know, there's always going to be something we can find that we can do a little bit better and maybe address somehow. Um, so, you know, I usually, especially patients who come in, folks who come in with serious chronic medical issues, whether it's something like an autoimmune disease or an inflammatory bowel problem or cancer, uh, you know, we're going to find eight or 10 somethings that we have to fix. And I also, you know, it depends on, on, on the patient, but it, it, each of those somethings may be a different slice, different size slice of the pie. Mm -hmm. So it might be a small contributing factor or a very large one. Like for some people just figuring out their food allergy and sensitivity, like that's like half their problem. Like literally, like they cut out the, all the food allergy and sensitivity they have. And they're literally 50, per, they're almost, almost on the completely on the road to wellness where somebody does it and they're like, well, you know, I got a little something out of that, but not much. Um, and that's, that's okay. That's just, that's just the way it works. And so it, it's also a work in progress. You know, functional medicine is a lot about like, well, where are you at now? Well, and that's where it really overlays with Chinese medicine. You know, yeah. in Chinese medicine, both the practitioner and the patient have a disharmony and, um, and everybody has a disharmony. Um, and, you know, when they actually created functional medicine, they looked at Chinese medicine and, and tried to create a very similar structure when they created like the matrix and, you know, the way there's the, um, they have like certain terminology like antecedents and triggers and, and um, mediators and perpetuators. And, and all of this was, based off of uh, patterns in traditional Chinese medicine. So, so it's, it's very interesting the, how they mesh so well together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's always fun. And the other thing I always talk about with, with my experience around functional medicine is, uh, again, the comparison to, to Western medicine is you go and you get your blood work done and they're like, oh, everything looks like it's in normal range. <laughs> um, and again, my wife has, has expressed, you know, she's told some of these stories, so I don't think she'll mind sharing that, but yeah, she's like, something is wrong. She's gone to, you know, seven different clinicians back when we lived in Dubai. That's a whole nother uh, conversation about the medical system there. Um, but yeah, the, you know, oh, you're within normal limits. You're, you're, you're in that normal range. And again, when you think about the hundred people who might've been used for that normal range or, or, you know, however many people, it's like, I don't really want to be in that range. But again, that's that subclinical thing where with her specifically, they were able to detect uh, a very precursor to an autoimmune condition to say it's not getting to your thyroid yet, but it's Hashimoto's. I'm yep. sure you can talk uh, for, for a while on that if you want to, but, but uh, all the time. Yeah. yeah. And the big thing there is like, Hey, uh, because we see these precursors and this kind of pattern, uh, you should probably avoid gluten. And like, we know that Hashimoto's and gluten are like cancer and sugar. And it's going to like, these are things that are feeding 
off each other. So we just, it's probably best to avoid gluten. And that's the thing that most traditional medicine is not going to find. Yeah. Um, most traditional medicine will just, they'll tell you to keep coming back to check your levels every year until you need Synthroid. Mm -hmm. And then you need Synthroid. Oh, good. Now you need Synthroid. Now you got to come back and get your Synthroid all the time. So like, rather than say, well, you know, are you on this path? Are you on, is your, is the train heading towards that? It's like, okay, can we reroute it? Like, and the answer is a lot of times, yes. Mm. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these things we find are re, are reversible, um, and treat and highly treatable. A lot of it though comes down to um, the patient, the person, the individual person's willingness to go ahead with the program too. So another thing I always encourage all of all of people that see me when they come back and they've done well, they feel better, you know, they're they they feel great, they're doing better, they're you know their their labs improve. Blah, blah, blah. I always say they always, you know, they're like, thank you so much. You guys helped us so much. You and Emily are like working miracles. I'm like, well, look, if you didn't do the work that we suggested you do at home, none of this would work. Because I, I don't have like one misconception I find about functional medicine is like, I don't have a magic bottle of vitamins. Mm -hmm. Like there's no magic bottle of vitamins for you. Like there, I, I will use vitamins and supplements and we use herbs. And of course I, I prescribe drugs. You need to drink one of these every day. That's it. That's exactly. The magic. You know, that's this a... magic, this magical. <laughs> yeah. That's a water. Cause it came out of a very special filter I have oh, sitting over there. And this is the key. It's a and triple ionic. Exactly. Uh, it's alkaline. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's perfect, you know? Yeah. But, but or, even, or even exercise. There's yeah. no oh, pill that oh. replaces that. There's Nothing no pill that replaces getting a good night's sleep, yeah. managing stress. And I mean, those are lifestyle things yeah, exactly. that um, you have to you cultivate. You have to cultivate. And, and cultivate, I think, is the most appropriate word. You have to yeah. do it like do it every day, you know? And I'll, I'll bring up my wife again. And, and again, I don't think she minds. Um, if she does, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch it later. So it's fine. Um, <laughs> but, but the big thing for her was, yeah, wake up uh, 30 minutes earlier every day. Uh, make sure you go to bed a little bit earlier so you're not really affecting your sleep. But you need to get the cortisol rhythms back into kind of sync. And so yep. start out with 10 minutes of light jogging or some kind of movement, a uh, little breath work, meditation. Um, and that's going to set your cortisol rhythm up for the rest of the day. Um, again, this is the level of testing for those not familiar that we're talking about that again. And, and again, it's not here's a pill to you know improve your cortisol. It's like you need to get in sync with nature and like the, yep. the, the flow of the sun and things like that, which yeah, to some exactly. people sound crazy. And Chris um, had that issue because, you know, he worked OBGYN labor mm, floor for years. For years. And, and so oh, his man. circadian rhythm was wonkadoodle. And his like when we tested his DHEA, it was shot. You know, his adrenals, were, adrenals just were just in the toilet. Burned roasted mm -hmm. from years of less excessive you know overnights and poor sleep and you know i had a, probably a couple a few too many drinks there were probably a couple <laughs> too many drinks in there so like you know all that all that good stuff you know catches up with you yeah. and it, it's it's all a part of it you know i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna recommend some adaptogens to those folks mm -hmm. too you know yeah. and depending on your pattern depending yeah. on what's going on some adaptogens some adrenal extract but you know, I'm also going to talk to, we're also going to talk to you about, Hey, you know, what, what are you doing for stress management? What are you mm -hmm. doing? With your sleep, what are you doing? With all these sort of things. And also the other sleep, sleep's a big one. And they also, there's also no magic supplement for sleep It's like, Oh, should I take the theanine? Should I take the, you know, the melatonin and melatonin? Yeah. should I take, you know, CBD, you know, and these are, I just named off things, all things that I use. Like I, I, I utilize them in the, in our practice. We utilize them all the time. Um, but you know, there, I always look at all these things as a bit of a bridge. Um, so, you know, like it's going to be there, especially for something like sleep or something like that. It's like, okay, you don't want to be on this. You you'd rather not have to need this forever. So like, 
And it's different for each individual, Correct. as you were saying. Oh, yeah. you know, sometimes like, you need it for a little bit. And you know, you stop. We'll, we'll do neurotransmitter testing on people, and they're like, oh, I can't sleep. And then they're taking melatonin, and their melatonin's off the chart. I'm like, this is the wrong supplement yeah, for you. Yeah, and I'm sure you guys could speak more to this, but I know for melatonin, uh, the generally recommended dosage is probably a lot smaller than if you go to any CVS or Walgreens pharmacy, like you're going to get almost um, five grams, five, like some ridiculous dose. That's way more than any human should probably take. Yeah. And that's why it works. It knocks you right out if you're on a flight or something like that. But for what people probably should be starting with, if they're going to even include melatonin from everything mm -hmm. I've seen, uh, they should be taking much smaller. Nah, it's not, it's, it's the wrong supplement for a lot of people. For a lot, for a lot of, of Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's got some neuroprotective effects that are very interesting for people with like um, chronic viral stuff and, it can uh, really help and and mold toxicity as well early and early early memory disorders like you know with, right. with early dementias and like mm -hmm. if you catch them in the early phases that seems to be helpful for some people if they tolerate it right but, but um, less less so for sleep disruption period right like that that's the thing where people it, it's probably the most popular sleep um, a lot I, it you is know, you know what I like it best for is like jet lag Mm -hmm. It works. It's it's a it's a it works like a charm for that. And we've got a little combination supplement we buy, a proprietary thing that's got a nice big dose of mag, you know, a good dose of of melatonin, some theanine, and what else is in that one? I don't know. Anyway, it comes in a little drink, and you pop the shot, and mm -hmm. like, like, it's great after a flight. Yeah. But taking one of those every night for the rest of your life to fix your sleep is not. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's always uh, as we say skills over pills. So there's, you know, breathing, these, these basic lifestyle yeah. things that you, you should be doing uh, yeah. to avoid taking pills. But uh, that does, that, that is another thing I wanted to, to, to talk about earlier when we were talking about de early detection of things. And I want to really get to the chronic stealth infections um, with Emily that, that, and I love that const, the title chronic stealth uh, is, is really good. But um, the, the two things that it reminded me of, are you guys familiar with David Sinclair, Dr. David Sinclair? Um, he wrote a book called Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have to. I would say he's probably the foremost leading kind of voice on aging. I won't okay. call it anti-aging. I won't call it biohacking or whatever. But uh, he's a really interesting guy. He, uh, a, he just started his podcast as well. But he actually started taking a statin in his like 20s because he, he, he has a huge history of heart disease and things like that. And he basically said a little bit, uh, you reminded me, Chris, earlier, uh, he basically said, like, do you have to wait for me to get a heart attack before you put me on a statin? Because, you know, he was like, and, and again, I'm not a huge fan of statins uh, from, <laughs> from the side effects and things like that. But he kind of, he, he's well informed enough that I think he's balancing out. He's taking a lot of metformin based on, uh, again, again, proactively kind of enhancing his life. His goal, you know, he sounds like he's very confident he's going to live to be 120. Um you know, and, and be pretty active and things like that. So, and, and that's kind of his push. The book was very interesting. Uh, but then we also hear about like uh, Angelina Jolie did the genetic testing, right? And, and she had the precursors for breast cancer. So she had her, her double mastectomy. Uh, so things like that, where again, are these extremes or are we going to find a nice balance of, hey, like there are ways that we can now detect these things um, and have a nuanced conversation. And again, have this higher level, uh, not just saving your life medicine, but Let's actually like make sure you avoid, uh, you know, these chronic conditions that are probably going to decrease your quality of life day to day. So I'm going to throw it over to Emily about the, the chronic stealth infections. And again, that's a huge thing that goes very undetected, especially in traditional medicine. Um, and I'll let you kind of rock and roll with that. Sure. Um, so one of the key um, turning points in my own health was um, being diagnosed with chronic Lyme. And um, it was a, a chief driving force in 
all the autoimmune processes I was undergoing. And we were actually at a yoga retreat up in Massachusetts at Kripalu and Chris picked up this book at the bookstore called Why Can't I Get Better? And, um, you know, Kripalu is up in uh, Western Massachusetts, right on the border of New, New York State. And um, there's there's a ton of Lyme in that area. So it's um, more understood and appreciated there. But they basically have um, uh, this questionnaire that has been um, tested and verified, um, I think. And and it's basically a, a list of all the symptoms of Lyme disease. And, and if you're like higher than 46, it's like 85% chance that you have Lyme or another tick-borne infection. So I really sat down, took the quiz, and I scored 120. And I was like, WTF, <laughs> I need to like find out more about this. And it, it explained everything. Um, the, the chief uh, things that go on with it is, is chronic fatigue, migratory joint pain. So one week it's your back, another week your your wrist gets tendonitis, then that gets better. Then next thing you know, your ankle will seem like it's twisted, but there was no trauma or you'll develop debilitating neck spasms. And, and it goes in a cyclical fashion because the uh, parasites are on on cycles of life. So um, often, um, it depending on which specific parasite is in you, um, it'll be like a three-week cyclical thing. Uh, women often get flares with menstrual stuff because hormones can affect it. So, um, so once I read this book and I started uh, testing with a boutique lab company because uh, the the uh, regular tests that you would run at a conventional lab misses over fifty percent of cases. So. Um, so I became versed in this and I actually went and studied, uh, Chris and I were in the uh, second class that Dr. Horowitz, he trains like 40 doctors a year. He's the one who wrote the book. He's the one who wrote the book. And he's, um, in my opinion, one of the number one Lyme experts in the country. Uh, so we went up to Poughkeepsie and we trained with him. And um, yeah, it's it's been quite a journey and it's very interesting. Um, and a lot of these patients end up coming for acupuncture because they're in chronic pain. And, um, you know, they've been dismissed by their doctors. They've had all the tests done and says, oh, nothing's wrong with you. It's psychosomatic. It's in your head. Um, and so a lot of my clients actually have a type of trauma from, from the medical system, from being dismissed by their physicians, from not being believed. And that's where, you know, the sound healing that Chris and I do comes in. That's where the shamanic work. Um, last year, I got... I mean, it was one of the silver linings to COVID-19 um, was all, all of a sudden all these classes became available on Zoom. So I got fully certified as a clinical hypnotherapist. Um, so I use a lot of hypnosis for uh, patients who have chronic issues. And um, yeah, it's it's been quite a journey. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot going on. I'd love to hear more about uh, a little bit of the sound healing, trans states, the hypnotherapy. Is that is some of the theory there uh, affecting like delta waves and brain waves? Is, is, can you speak a little bit to the, the I mean, I'm, I'm curious about the physiology of it for sure. Yeah, well, you know, delta is associated with sleep states. Theta is more meditation and alpha states are like creativity. And what I'm talking about is the, the brain waves like on an EEG, an electroencephalogram, if you put a bunch of wires on your head and they see what's going on in your in your brain. And um, a lot of our patients, especially ones who have been poisoned, who have been exposed to toxins over and over again, they get in this hypervigilant state where their limbic system 
is just an overdrive. And so everything seems like a foreign object that's going to attack you. So you'll get in the elevator with somebody who has on Tom Ford, Ford perfume and you get this huge mast cell reaction from the chemicals. And this is called multiple chemical sensitivity. But really, you know, your olfactory bulb goes straight back to your limbic system and it'll trigger this like limbic system loop where you're in constant flight or fight. And though the only way to break that that we found and, and we'll have people come in and they're so inflamed, I can't even give them like a vitamin pill or a supplement or something that is naturally occurring in their body to help them detox stuff out because they're so hypervigilant and it's it's not their fault. It's truly at a deep, deep uh, like reptilian level of the brain. And that's where these sound healing and trance states come in because it allows you to change your brain wavelength and go into another state where there's there's new possibilities to make different neural connections and go down a different neural pathway when you encounter somebody's perfume. Would you, yeah, would, you, would you explain it in another way, Chris? He, he, he does way, way more sound healing than me. I'm more like the hypnosis lady, but. I think thinking of it as an autonomic nervous system reset is a mm. good way to kind of um, generalize it from a physiology standpoint. The acutonic system that we use um, is based on principles of Chinese medicine. So we'll take tuning forks. Um, we also use bowls and gongs and chimes and, you know, different sorts of instruments over the body. But we'll actually take the tuning forks and like and, and place them on to acupuncture points. So you're activating the acupuncture point with sound frequencies. And this is where the vibration so, gets back to the piezoelectric effect and resetting, you know, yeah. the electromagnetic fields of the body. So it's it's like it's kind of like doing acupuncture without needles hmm. in a in, in a in, in a kind of way, um, the all of the forks that we use too have their own characteristics. So like they're based on planetary archetypes. So you know, um, depending on what sort of response you'd like to see or what sort of intention you want to put behind your treatment, you'll select different forks based on that. And, and the people who developed the system, um, one of the ladies, Ellen Franklin, she, ha she has a PhD in Jungian psychology. So it taps into archetypes. For example, um, Mars was, you know, the god of war. And so if you um, <clears throat> have a chronic stealth infection, you might want to stimulate your immune system to uh, wage war. And, you know, you might want to invoke some of that cosmic fire in action, which Mars represents. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating about it, Bo, is um, even if you don't discuss the archetype with the patient, just hearing the sound mm -hmm. taps into the collective unconscious and triggers the reaction. So what, what people will experience during an acutonics treatment is usually akin to a state of deep meditation. Mm. Most people will say like, wow, I was really kind of out for a while there, wasn't I? Some people, they don't, it's, it's not quite sleep. Like it's like that, that, that state that's like right before sleep, you know, that really when you can tell. And a lot of folks that we do this for don't, met, they're not meditators. They're not familiar with doing meditation. Some of them say they can't meditate. Like I try to sit down and either like they can't sit still, they can't calm their thoughts. You know, they just don't, they don't like or to do it. Or they tried an app or. They try yeah. They just don't, they don't like it or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever reason. But I'm like, well, no problem. If you lay down on the table and I can put some 
forks around you and some chimes, trust me, you're going to get into a very nice deep meditative state. Oh, and the crystals. And the crystals too. Yeah, of course, we use crystals. The crystals help a lot. Um, and all these other sort of things that we do along with it from an energetic standpoint. Um, so it, it can be very powerful as far as, you know, shifting people's physiology, like, through the through the nervous system and through those deep meditative states you know and it's in a in a place where people are um guided and supported i mean i'm all like we we meditate you know pretty much every day yeah um, we, we do you know, 20 to 30 minutes every at, morning at like least, clockwork and usually we do a night time and then sometimes you know we have other special things we like to meditate oh it's a full moon full moon meditation time right or if i just had a difficult day at work i yeah, I have trouble being nice to people if I don't meditation <laughs> in. Exactly. So, so but uh, even folks who who haven't done those sort of practices, they they can get a lot of the same benefits through a system like this. And a lot of times, though, it's it's a it's a portal to open that world to them, so that they can say, "Oh, now I kind of understand what this is." You know, I can see how mm -hmm. this works, and it, it reinforces all of those things too. Yeah, for me, I mean, in my practice, I, I think it's interesting, again, to combine the West and the East, if we're going to call it that, is, is uh, I just talk about breathing and deep belly breathing. And again, what I talk about, I do a virtual assessment just like this. I, I, and I, again, I've, I, you know, I'm not going to call you guys out on it, but <laughs> if you take a deep breath in, 99 out of 100 people are breathing yeah, yeah it's true up here yeah, no. um and i ironically again for me this is a thing that again there's like this uh physiology understanding whatever and and even our our football coach in high school who was also a chorus instructor and, and performers tend to know this to breathe into the belly and and if you can really engage your diaphragm and things like that that you're going to be more powerful there but at the same time everybody who's got this anxiety and is up here in this fight or flight constantly. Um, and I can get you to, and, and there's massaging of the vagus nerve, which is connected to the brain and it's calming down for, for the listeners. I know you guys know all this stuff, but, uh, and then, and then and when we're getting down into that belly, we're going into that rest and digest. So again, for me, I always speak to the fact that I struggle meditating, uh, however we want to think of it. And it's just that breathing practice of taking those deep belly breaths is completely lowering your nervous system. And it was very interesting again, cause my wife's very anxious person. Uh, and she's one of the, I can never nap people. Um, and, and, you know, she's definitely, we saw it on the whoop also, cause we both got the whoop and it tracks your heart rate throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And like, we would do the same exact thing and her like heart rates huge. Like, and again, it's, it's, it's this crazy spike and it's just anxiety, um, that she has, um, versus I'm over here like, cool. I just took a breath and like, I'm okay. And you can see the results right there on the whoop. It's pretty fascinating stuff. So, um, I love kind of that, that blend of it all. Um, and then the, uh, the other one I want to ask you guys about, we just had our, uh, these lovely fires here that we barely escaped, um, here in Colorado a few weeks ago. Um, and so there's ash in the air. Everybody on the Facebook groups is wondering, is there like, you know, is this going to be leading to cancer down the line and things like that? I mean, you know, because houses burned and there was a lot of carcinogens that we, we are probably familiar with that, uh, people live with and, and then to have that burned and get up into the atmosphere and then spread out. Um, apparently they've done a lot of the testing. The water we have here still is, is a little stinky, uh, just running through the tap and they've again, tested it. They say there's nothing coming up negative on testing, but I wonder again, uh, maybe you can speak to a little bit and I'm not going to show this to my wife and she's probably not going to watch this whole thing yet, but she's very again anxious about the whole thing and maybe rightfully so. Un understandably um, so. I yeah. mean, if you're breathing in burnt plastic, it's not good it's for not your good. health. 
Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, but sadly, we live in um, we we get exposed to so many toxins. Mm -hmm. um, all of us, and and you know, some some of our sickest patients have been uh, firefighters mm -hmm. um, who get. But I mean, they're chronically exposed all the time. Imagine right. if that's what you do for a living. Yeah. Um, also, too, they they have had uh, issues with you know, mold toxicity at some of the firehouses and stuff mm. like that. Um, so, so that adds to it. Um, but yeah, I think that um, we should all be concerned about toxins, not just people who are experiencing fires, but there, there's direct toxins that we're exposed to all time, the time. Um, you know, our, our oceans are poison now. Um, I was trying to be healthy for years. So all I ate was fish. I had one of the highest mercury levels I've ever seen because of that. Um, and I'm still working on getting that out of my body. Um, yeah, it's a huge problem. And I, I mean, people ask me all the time, I, I don't know what to eat, what's safe and what isn't. And, and it's a complicated question. Um, I mean, to, to me, it's just everyone needs to do some level of ongoing detoxification procedure. Um, the idea that you're going to do a two week detox and, and then get out 45 years of fine, toxins. <laughs> and I don't have to do this again for a year or two is really the wrong way to look at it. And a lot of people will do like, you know, like these, you, I'm sure you've seen. Oh, we laugh about whole things. 30, like, like whole what, 30, 30 no, dude, days, a whole 365 is what you need. <laughs> like every day, like you gotta, yeah. eat, you need to eat good food. And the thing with the whole 30, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of gyms implement that and day 31, you're probably undoing the 30 days you just, you know, cause it's like, right. we, we made it. Let's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a good program, but yeah, it's a good idea. But, but if you're, if you're scarfing Papa John's on day 31 and, right. or whatever, you know, it doesn't, there's doesn't stuff work. worse than Papa John's. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. But what I was going to say about those detox protocols is some of them are indeed very, very astringent. They're very, very, they can be very rough, you know, and they can be real extreme. Some people will tolerate that just fine. Other people won't even tolerate those things for a day or two. Um, so what what you do for, you know, supporting your body's ability to detoxify kind of depends on the individual. Um, you know, there's some good general things folks can do to help themselves, like, you know, make sure your water's clean. And if it's not, you know, get water that is, you know, preferably through filtering, actually, is better than trying to buy it. Um, and you know, there's basic supplementation. I mean, we're huge fans of IV therapies. I mean, we do vitamin IVs and IV glutathione and of course, ozone therapies and stuff like that. Um, you know, on some sort of a maintenance basis, um, that those sort of things I, I think really make a difference for people. And, you know, I think that's, that's part of the key to healthy aging or healthier aging is that you, you keep giving your body the help it needs to move things through. Yeah. Um, sadly, our generation has the highest, highest toxic burden ever seen. And this is also the first generation of children coming up that mm. has going to have a, as a sh shorter life expectancy than the previous generation. The first time that's ever happened in history. Uh, I can't even tell you how many clients we have come in who are in their 20s and 30s with 20s cancer. 20s and 30s. And like, they're developing diseases that are not supposed to happen until you're 50. And we didn't see yeah. this in med school. And I, like I graduated 2004 <clears throat> from medical school, Chris, in 2001. And um, the, the shift in the last, last 20, 20 years, years is it's huge. incredible. It's huge. Do you guys say the number one thing there is is just 
environmental, like food, food, food production, uh, is, you know, is it ever one thing a, yeah. a combination of everything? Yeah. A genetic predisposition, like, like you're a slow detoxifier or mm. a COMT gene or MTHFR toxic accumulation. Um, uh, standard American diet is a huge problem. Um, sad. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and then stress levels. Stress. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that we see, we see a ton of people with autoimmune disease, and they're put on a blah 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 imab, and uh, these immune modulators. And you know, if you go to the website for the for the uh, medication, the number one side effect is cancer, because when you yeah, suppress your immune system. And so, you know, I'm not against somebody treating their autoimmune disease, but you really need to do a risk benefit analysis and, and lo look at stuff. And so, um, and, and then the deeper question is, why is everybody getting autoimmune disease? And I, I think a lot of it's those, those root cause reasons. Um, but um, these are very knotted and tangled and mesh situation. Yeah. And there's not an easy answer. It's not like, oh, everybody stops, needs to stop eating sugar. And if you do that, you're never going to get cancer. Well, that's what they tried to do at the low fat, you know, situation. Yeah. And, and there's all the fun stories there. But I mean, for me, it goes back to the five basics of our humanity of health is movement. We're not moving. You know, this, that's a huge change. Uh, there's the recovery component. We're talking about sleep and everything like that. The third one being the nutrition, what we're putting into our bodies. Um, the fourth one being the two, the last two for me are in, in the mental space of, again, our, our mindset in general, um, including some of the stress and things like that. And then the last one is connection. And that, that's been a huge thing that we've seen during this lockdown of, of just, it's just a much less connected world, even though we're more connected on the internet now. Um, and we're able to do things like this, but <laughs> just yeah. most people's lives are, are just not, uh, and then I would add, yeah. Number six for me would be toxic burden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of in, the, I guess, in that nutrition almost, but yeah. in, a, in a negative way. Oh, or, okay, yeah. I see. Yeah, within, within my system, but for yeah. sure, for sure. And, and, it's the anti-nutrition. Right. Exactly, anti-nutrients. I've, I've heard people use that term, anti-nutrients. You know, so well, they say that about um, is it the 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 grain on brown rice? Yeah, Mercury is kind of an anti-nutrient too. It's well, because it, it it takes up space and then it blocks absorption <laughs> and yeah. Unless you're a cultivated Taoist, in which case cinnabar. <laughs> we um, use cinnabar, but yeah, I wouldn't go leads there. Leads to immortality, but I, uh, very few are that cultivated. <laughs> uh, I did want to ask. You mentioned IV therapy, and and we touched. I asked you about this on I think uh, Messenger before, but you guys include NAD, and that's uh, you know I played around with that myself. I'm just curious. And again, David Sinclair talks a lot about this. So he uh, is a big supporter of, and I've, I've dove into a bit of the research on this myself, just out of curiosity. But um, what I've seen is it's actually better to get the precursors NMN and NR uh, rather than putting NAD because NAD is a very large compound from my understanding. And, and I'd love to hear your guys take on this. So I'm just curious uh, what your take on NAD is in general. I know you're, you're fans of it and, and the IV component. I've seen a lot of positive results. Mm -hmm. I know when I've had it injected personally, like it, imp it instantly improves my like peripheral vision and things like that. But, but I'm just wondering again, for the long term, those levels, um, you know, is, is there something about the NMN and our precursors there? Well, I, you know, I think NAD, I kind of look at NAD as like the icing on the cake sprinkles on the Sunday, like if we want to use that sort of an analogy, it's, it's not a foundational thing and neither are the precursors because really like a lot of the other precursors of what you're trying to accomplish from 
NAD you can get from other sources that are not so complicated and not so expensive. Um, so, you know, I, I, I love to use it. And another thing about NAD, especially, well, there's two ways we look at it, really. One is, for, you know, am I trying to treat someone who's well that wants to be better? Like, am I doing this for wellness? Those sort of folks, you can come in, they can get loaded up with NAD, you know, three big doses in a week, and they're going to feel amazing. They're going to love it. Or do I have someone who's chronically ill? If I try to give them a dose of NAD, they might actually crash. They might feel a whole lot worse. Yeah, I was only able to do NAD for myself after I treated so, you know the the chronic infections the yeah. the other stuff and then i actually really benefited a lot from the nad it really addressed the fatigue but until you address like chronic epstein-barr chronic cytomegalovirus yeah. the the lyme um we see a ton of people walking around with chronic mycoplasma yeah. um and if if those are still banging around the nad it doesn't work yeah. it's like painting like the you other... feel better for about two days yeah, and then you crash gone. again so yeah, it's, it's just it's just the wrong timing. So you're going to get more benefit out of it treating someone who's who's already on the road to wellness. Um, that's not to say that for someone with chronic illness, it's not a great idea. It's just you have to time it right. And you have to say, well, yeah, you know, what? I think NAD is going to be great to help you know do some mitochondrial rehab for you later. And you have to get them out of cell danger response, because if they're in cell danger responses, um, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's very similar to like a limbic system type of thing. It's when your cells literally feel like the environment is toxic and so they'll play dead and this is like the um this is the molecular basis for things like chronic fatigue syndrome and often it's it's mediated by chronic viral stuff chronic infections or toxins and so your mitochondria will literally go into a quiescent phase and if you stimulate the mitochondria with nad they'll wake up and then they'll be like oh crap it's not safe yeah. here and they're they'll they literally shut down, shut down even worse <laughs> so, so timing of nad is actually quite important with our chronically ill patients makes sense makes sense and chris you mentioned ozone therapy you mind just telling everyone a little bit about what that is and when that might be used sure. so my, my favorite application of ozone is is you know blood ozonation or major autohemotherapy it's when we cite an iv line we draw your blood into a, into a jar. Um, the system I use is a closed system. It's a single use jar. And then we put ozone gas into the jar with your blood. Ozone is O3, oxygen is O2. So ozone rapidly dissociates into oxygen and a free O2 and a free oxygen molecule. And that actually generates a reaction in the blood which stimulates your mitochondria to improve their function in a lot of different ways. It's also directly um, you know, virucidal and bactericidal. So like it kills circulating virus and, um, and bacteria. Um, <clears throat> the long and the short of it is it, it really stimulates your body's ability to produce, produce ATP. So like you produce more ATP, your energy levels get better, your detox systems get better. It also neutralizes a lot of inflammatory mediators in the system, that, that O3 to O2 reaction. So any inflammatory response you have, it goes from being like a negative inflammatory response to the more positive side of inflammation. And like I said, those are, that's like three or four book chapters into a single sense. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's not, there's a lot of science behind it, um, but we use it to treat, the, the thing I love the most about ozone is because it's basically treating your mitochondria and it's in treating the immune system. Um, it's like a shotgun. It mm. treats like a laundry list of complaints, problems, issues from chronic infections to cancer, to chronic pain, 
Um, it's very useful for people um, uh, with, uh, with particularly with like the Lyme patients, mycotoxin patients, stuff like that. Um, and also for people just looking to, to maintain their health, like, you know, who are looking for wellness, it improves your blood's oxygen carrying capacity. Like it causes a reaction that's a little similar to training at altitude. So like you actually get a bump in your O2 carrying capacity and people will notice a bump in their cardio with it. Um, but it's something that we like to use, you know, I, I mean, I, we do it every day, well, at least a couple of times. I have a couple of patients every day um, and it's very safe because it's just oxygen. Um, and most people do great with it. Um, so, so it's uh, one of the other, one of the therapies that we employ uh, quite regularly in our practice. Awesome. And then I wanted to make sure we touched on the T cell testing for chronic infections because you included that. Yeah. So, I mean, well, that's one of the ways that we diagnose the infections. You know, I mean, like antibody testing is the traditional way we look for infections. But the trouble with the stealth infections, and so we're putting a whole category here of like all the Borrelias, the uh, things like Bartonella, Babesia, Rickettsia, they'll impair your body's immune system to, to secrete antibodies so the tests won't turn positive. Um, but when you do T-cell reactions, you can actually expose the T-cells to these individual bugs and then watch and see if the T-cells react. And if there's an active or, or some level of infectious agent still around, the T-cells will always react. The and then the use, other thing is yeah. the antibodies. If you, yeah. let's say you had a Lyme when you were 15 at summer camp, it was immediately treated with doxycycline. Those antibodies that you have could be from that prior exposure, even though you don't have an active infection. Whereas the T cell yeah. reactivity test will actually show if the infection is active or not, not just an old antibody Correct. exposure. So that's and, that's what part of why we find it to be clinically superior because it actually tells us what's going on in the body right now. It's so hard with patients who've had chronic Lyme because their symptoms are so all over the place, literally, like you have it in all parts of your body. They're not necessarily specific. They could be five or 10 different sources for it. So we wanna know, okay, is this because you have some sort of active infection going on or is it you know, results of the inflammatory damage afterwards? Because then the approach to how you actually treat it is very different. You know, if you have something that's an active infection versus, okay, no, it, it doesn't appear to be active. We're not going to be trying to kill bugs here. And the other thing, of course, is viruses, because we can check for viral infections that way too. Things like Epstein-Barr, CMV, HHV6, HSV1 and 2. And if you don't address viral problems, people oh, some, also... Sometimes, sometimes the virus stuff sometimes is the, the virus worst. Is, viruses honestly. are sometimes the worst than the bacteria. Yeah, that make people feel really bad. I can't even. We're talk. not going to talk about the big virus going on. Right oh now. no, no, <laughs> like chronic Epstein Barr, Epstein Barr, CMV, all those guys. Yeah, the viral stuff you know, is is trickier sometimes than the bacterial stuff, especially if you don't diagnose mm -hmm. it properly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's wrap this up on some positive notes, because um, <laughs> there's a lot of negative out there for sure, and it's all necessary. But so I, I, I'm going to try to wrap it up to, to my summation. What I've learned here. Uh, from you guys today is bringing it back and again reinforcing a lot of the things I think I talk about in a lot of these podcasts is is it all comes back to a little bit of chicken egg is everybody should get tested by a higher level of testing that we're talking about here in functional medicine if we're going to label it that um, I don't know if you guys have actually seen this this is a bit of a negative thing that I do want to go into is have you seen um, I've seen a lot of people use the term functional medicine because it's not very re well regulated and maybe not have the level of education that that you guys are putting together with this yeah, yeah. we see that a lot like mm -hmm. like people uh, practitioners ordering tests that 
they don't know how to interpret. Right. And also, like, if you don't know how to treat something, you probably shouldn't order shouldn't the test. Order the lab. And, right. and not to say that um, it's not possible to learn those things, yeah. but I think you should have the education and understanding before you start applying it clinically. Yeah, or yeah. The, the other one we see is, oh, I saw this functional medicine doctor and then nothing happened. It's like, and you look at what they've done and it's like, oh, well, I they, get that all the time they with do, acupuncture too. Yeah. They, they're they, like, well, oh, they I do, did acupuncture, it didn't work. I'm like, well. It, if you go to the, their office and they do the same five fancy tests on every patient that walks in the door. I'm yeah. sure it's the same so, with you in physical so like, therapy. You know, if, if yeah, you, I, I was going to say the exact same thing. And my our analogy that we've used in the physical therapy space is it's like saying you've gone to McDonald's and and all restaurants are not great. It's like, well, I'm I'm a three star Michelin restaurant over here. Like, same. let's let you know. And but yeah, they say they failed with physical therapy, and that was hot packs, electric stim, and and a little bit of hands on maybe. Um, but yeah, that that definitely is a thing. But yeah, I was surprised when I was in Southern California. I, I definitely wanted to connect with functional medicine practitioners. Uh, in Orange County specifically, and if they're all listening, good for them. Um, I appreciate them listening, but I doubt, I doubt they are. But a lot of them were chiropractors. There were very few functional medicine doctors. I even went on the, uh, which it was the functional medicine registry from IFM, the Institute yeah. of Functional Medicine. And then uh, Chris Kresser had a registry. And, I, you know, I looked really hard. And, and again, the only ones that I could find were these chiropractors who were selling mitochondria supplements. And I was just like, I this is not the yeah, thing. And this is where, you know, regulation has a good and bad side, you know, like, uh, I, I think there needs to be standards for stuff. Um, but then, you know, it, if, if we were practicing in, in New York, because it's so tightly regulated, a lot of the stuff we do it would not be an option. So, I mean, it, it's like anything there's, there's good and bad, um, plus and minuses. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's tons of competent practitioners out there, though. Yeah, and and I think at the end of the day, uh, getting some version of testing outside of the traditional medical system is probably going to serve folks well. Um, yeah. and and you know, functional medicine is fantastic. But when I c completed my IFM certification, I was like, well, they 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 don't acknowledge mold toxicity and and they don't really deal with chronic Lyme so you're missing a lot of the patients who are actually going to be driven yeah. to a functional so medicine I, office so I mean, and here's the truth there's always more of us more we can learn we can always become like you said one percent better every day and and i mean this is what pushes me to learn more and strive to become a better practitioner because i i know there's more knowledge and wisdom out there that i try to access and you know last year i spent a third of my income on education mm -hmm. yeah i I, sh I get scared every time i do an audit of how much i've spent on <laughs> education worth I, every just, I just say it's it's about half a million dollars and uh that's, that might be accurate or not uh, over my lifetime i mean yeah, my doctorate degree alone was was over a hundred thousand dollars, and I've taken a lot of continuing education as well. So I definitely understand that. And yeah, with lifelong learners, and and you know, there's certain books that you can get for 10, 15 bucks that might teach you more than you know certain degrees or certifications will ever teach you. So for sure, the the other one I wanted to leave folks with, though, big takeaway is uh, things that anyone can do today. Finishing listening to this, if you're not doing, uh, I like the term basic lifestyle guidelines. Um, I don't know if you guys have a similar kind of uh, checklist or anything like that, but again, mm -hmm. just uh, setting your circadian rhythms, uh, minimizing toxins. And again, that's a whole like chapters of books that we're, we're talking about here. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to dive too far down the basic lifestyle guidelines, but yeah, improve your sleep, improve what you're putting into your body, 
uh, start moving more in different ways, uh, really basic stuff that most of us just fail to do. And if you do more of those things, they're the not sexy things. But I think those are the things that will, when you get, you know, something like Lyme in front of your face, if you're more resilient as a human being uh, and you have these things in place, you're going to A, be able to handle that better and B, possibly not be as affected by it. So, um, you know, you know, I don't want to, you know, uh, downplay the effects of something like Lyme for sure. But but uh, I do think that at the end of the day, that's my goal as, as a relatively healthy human being, minus my finger, New York finger. Um, <laughs> Uh, other than that, <laughs> I, you know, that's one of my goals is to, similar to I mentioned David Sinclair earlier, li you know, live to 120, very, very active and and uh, and and alive, uh, not, and improve the quality of my years, not just the years uh, that I have on this earth. But yeah, it, I think that ba those basic lifestyle guidelines for me are uh, just go far and away, and that's the one percent better concept that that you just brought up is these little things add up uh, exponentially if we stay consistent with them. So um, that's where things like that really add up. So I don't know if you guys have any other major thoughts. I want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on an hour here. Um, but yeah, any other major concluding thoughts? I, I think we covered a lot of ground today. We did. I'm proud of us. Um, you know, I actually have, have a thought and I've been doing this lately and my client actually uh, says he does it and he's one of the most successful and lovely people I know. Um, I have a little journal that I started and I write down things that I want to manifest right before I go to sleep and dream at night. And, you know, dreaming is a, a creativity state. So it's a way to work on that manifestation. And it's so simple. But the actual act of writing something down um, turns those words into a physical reality. And it's something simple. But um, I started writing lists of stuff that I intend to manifest. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. Uh, we use the, the five-minute journal which is a little bit of a gratitude practice and you write down kind of a reflection from the day and what you want, what you, what could have gone better today. And then uh, you write in the morning as well of, of, you know, what, what needs to happen for the day or what can happen for the mm -hmm. day. So it gives you that opportunity. Same thing. Yeah. We, that's what we utilize, but I like that concept you're talking about for sure. My dog really wants to manifest this ball. So you guys talk <laughs> for a second. I'm going to grab this ball. Sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and you know, the other thing that I, I, I tell this to people all the time and they rarely take my advice, but when I have patients who truly can't sleep and their uh, circadian rhythm is wonkadoodle, I will tell them to go camping. Cause you know, when you go camping, if you're truly sleeping in a tent on the ground, as soon as the sun comes up, you're awake. Mm -hmm. Even if you stayed up till 3 a.m. the night before getting drunk by the campfire. And there's something about being in close sync with nature and the sunrise that helps you reestablish the correct adrenal cortisol rhythms. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say this fun fact that I, I've been studying circadian rhythms for well over a decade myself now. And I worked with a sleep system company, Reverie. Um, and it took me a very long time to discover the root of the word circadian, which is circadian, which is approximately a day. Uh, and I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, and it really helped me kind of connect those dots of like, yeah, at the end of the day, circadian rhythm, you're trying to simulate a 24 hour uh, sunrise, sunset cycle and, and rock with that. And so, yeah, we all tend to stay up much later than we should. And again, the concept of blue light blocking glasses is something that's out there. And now it's kind of like, there's a lot more to it than that. I don't know. Also another name I'll throw out there. You guys follow Andrew Huberman at all. Mm -hmm. 
He's, he's, no, we uh, got stuff to learn from you. Yeah, Bo knows. That's so right. For making me so, better. Yeah, he's a uh, he. He studies. Uh, I think he's. I forget. I, I don't. I'm gonna mess up his title. I always mess it up. I think he's a he's a, a bio. He's not a biochemist, but he studies a lot of ophthalmological science and basically how light into the eyes affects all your hormones. And so, and again, he's one that kind of poo-poo's the concept of blue light blocking um, versus there's a thousand other things going on. Um, and again, there's just the importance of getting out and getting sunlight uh, as much as possible, even through gray skies, uh, first thing in the morning. And, and just that'll set your circadian rhythms in a lot of ways. But yeah, he, he, he's a really interesting guy that I'll just uh, touch base on. And, and he's been uh, recently just gaining a lot of traction, I think, with his, his podcast and things like that and, and some of the stuff he's putting out there. But very interesting uh, concepts and very evidence-based guy that, that's just he's, – he's super interesting. I would definitely recommend him. I can share some episodes when we're done here with you guys. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Bo. I really appreciate inviting us onto your podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you guys for being on. And uh, before we go, tell folks where they can get get a hold of you guys. And uh, yeah, if they want to follow up. Uh, Well, our website is www.miamibeachcwc.com. And uh, that's probably the best way to get a hold of us is via the website. Awesome. I put that in the comments here and then that'll be up on the screen there it is yeah thank i think you. i spelled it right yeah, <laughs> and, perfect yes well thank you guys uh you could stay on we're gonna end the uh broadcast but yes thank you guys hope you got one percent better today if you checked us out don't forget to share like subscribe leave a comment leave a rating leave a review all the things and we'll see y'all next time get one percent better